Praise the Lord. You are destined to win. God spoke to me in August of 1980 and said to proclaim the word of faith, be a showcase of ministries, and train people to fulfill the word of God. The message that you're about to hear was recorded in a live meeting where the Lord used me to teach the uncompromising word of faith. So open your heart to receive the ministry of the Word of God today, and you will be changed, empowered, and motivated to fulfill the Word of God in your life. Well, amen. If you'll open your Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 5. Praise God. I tell you what, like I was saying, this message is just so important, so important. A lot of folks would, after we get into this, you know, a lot of folks would say, well, this is so basic. You know, everybody preaches this. Denominational folks, mainline churches, they preach this. Ah, they preach at it. <laughs> I'm convinced of that. They preach at it. They're not preaching it, they're preaching at it. Now, what does that mean? That means they read some of these scriptures. Like, for instance, there's some, some scriptures we're going to read today that are so used, overused almost, because they've been used to the point people don't realize the subject that was being talked about. Now, what they're saying is right. Don't get me wrong. For instance, Romans 6.23, very familiar scripture. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now there's probably, well, John 3.16 is probably the only scripture more familiar than that scripture. Every poor old sinner walking down the street has had some guy with a wild-eyed look and a Bible under his arm come up and say, the wages of sin is death. And they're going, oh, <laughs> you know. They don't want to hear that. They know they're a sinner. And they know the wages of sin is death. They've been told that. What they want to know is, is about the gift of God of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, we've centered on the negative so long, we've about forgot the positive. I had somebody write me here recently about the radio program. And they said, I say recently, it's been several months ago, but they said, Brother Bill said, you always preach positive stuff. Said we need to hear some negative stuff. Preach against adultery. Preach against homosexuality. Preach against sin. Well, I wrote them back and I said, well, you know, you can turn on practically any radio program on the dial today and hear all that stuff. Somebody needs to tell us what we can do about the sin. What we can do about the problem. How we can live above the beggarly elements of this world. Thank God for people like Brother Copeland, Brother Hagen, some of these guys that are preaching positively what we can do about it. Not negatively what, where we're at and how we can't get out. And glory to God, we'll make it somehow, some way. That's not the message of the gospel. The word gospel means good news. Sometimes I listen to a gospel, quote, program, and it sounds like bad news. The wages of sin is death. You're going to hell. Pray that somehow, some way, God will see fit to, you know. It, that's bad news. I don't want to hear that. Not when the Word of God says that the gospel is good news. Now, it's true that the wages of sin is death. It's true that if you don't receive Jesus Christ as Lord, you're going to hell. That's true. Those are irrefutable facts. But that's not where the gospel stops. The gospel goes on to say, but if you will receive Jesus Christ as Lord, then you have, right now, present tense, eternal life. Now, we've heard some teaching here recently on the word life in the Greek. Zoe, life. The powerful life of God. Now, it's not that when you die and go to heaven, you'll receive eternal life. We've got it now as Christians. Now that eternal life is inside us. Right now the Zoe life of God is down in us. 
Now, what we need to know is, or what we need to understand is, about this difference between life and death. There are a lot of Christians that are going around teaching that what we need to do is die daily. Die daily, die daily, you know. I heard one guy teach, and I'll tell you the truth, it got so bad, it hurt me so much in my spirit. I mean, it was almost like physical pain to listen to this being taught. And it hurt me so much, I actually got up and left the meeting. I mean, right in the middle of it. It wasn't any big meeting where you could slip out unnoticed, you know. I mean, there's some meetings that some of us have been in, eight, ten thousand 10,000 people. You can sort of slip out the back, you know, and nobody really noticed. This was a meeting where there was only 10 people there, and they were gathered around a little circle. And I was sitting there, and I was getting lower and lower, and my spirit was hurting me, and my head was bowed, and I was praying in the spirit, and I thought, oh, Lord, I can't stand it anymore. And he said, it's clear, I can still hear it today. He said, take heed what you hear. And I went, yes, sir, and I got up and left. I mean, I couldn't take it. Why? Because this guy was preaching and uplifting the very enemy of us and of the Word of God. That is death. Death is the last enemy to be conquered. Death is an enemy. We shouldn't glorify it. You know, show forth our death to the world. That's what this guy was saying. He was actually teaching that as Christians, the glorious thing about Christians was is that everybody would see death in us. They'd see us dying daily. And they'd see that since we were dying, that, oh, this was some glorious thing. Man, the world's had enough of death. They don't want to see any more death. They're seeing kids dying. They don't want to see death. They want to see life. Life is what's in us. Eternal Zoe life. We need to manifest the life of God to people. When they see the life, when they see the light coming out of us, they'll look at us and say, what is it about them? What's going on here? They'll see us loving one another. That love is a manifestation of the life that's in us. As we love one another, the world looks at that and they go, what do they got that we don't? See, you know, the world, sinners, are like a lot of little kids. You ever seen how a little kid acts? If a little kid sees another kid that's got something better than him, he wants it. And he, oh, he wants that. And he'll do anything in the world to get that. And you can see it on his mind. He's going, man, I want that. What can I do to get that? That kid's got that and I want it. See, the world's just like that. They look at Christians that are manifesting the life of God and the love of God, that Zoe that's coming out of them. They look at Christians and they say, man, I want that. I don't know what that is, but I want it. And if we'll just tell them what it is, they'll get it. Praise God. But we need to, we need to understand these things. We need to understand the difference between life and death, sin and righteousness. They're opposites. They're reciprocals. But we need to understand them. Now, before we get into this in Romans 5, don't worry, I'm going to read it. <laughs> before we get into this, though, we need to have a quick review of some things that we've heard taught before. And that is going back to Genesis to the Garden of Eden. Now, we've heard this time after time after time. But I'm convinced of this. I was talking with a brother, well, Ron Kahn. I, you know, most of you are familiar with Ron and his ministry. I was talking with Ron, and he said, you know, the more I study, the more I find that the first three chapters of Genesis are all important to the study of the Word of God. If you don't understand what, on, what went on in those first three chapters, you can't really understand the rest of what the Word of God is talking about. Because for so long, we as Christians have gotten the idea that God put Adam in the earth 
And then Adam and Eve, you know, they were deceived by Satan. And then Satan sort of tramped them underfoot. And then God decided since they'd been disobedient, then he slapped sickness and disease on them and made them work and sweat. And just, oh, he was to put out with them, mad at them, that he slapped all this stuff on them and told them, you ain't going nowhere, you turkey. That's what we thought went on in Genesis chapters 1 through 3. When that's the furthest thing from the truth. See, that conjures up in people's minds an image that God is spiteful and that God wants people sick because they're sinning. Since they're sinning, God wants to slap sickness on them as some kind of punishment. And you hear a lot of people saying, you know, well, you know, Brother Bill, God's put this sickness on me to humble me. God don't want you humbled through sickness and disease. He wants you to humble yourself. Isn't that what the Word of God says? Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. How do we humble ourselves? What is it talking about when it says that? It talks about putting aside our own dumb religious ideas and simply receiving and accepting what God's Word says. That's humbling for a lot of people, particularly for a lot of preachers who have preached it all their lives one certain way. God's doing this. God's doing that. God's making people sick. God's doing this. And then all of a sudden they see plainly in the Word of God that Satan's the killer, the stealer, and the destroyer, and God only gives good gifts, and they don't want to teach that. Why? Because they'd have to take back a bunch of stuff they've already taught. They'd have to get up in their pulpits on Sunday morning and say, Brethren, I made a mistake here. I'm sorry, but what I've been teaching is wrong. God didn't make you sick. That is, you know, that would take a blow to most preachers' pride. That would be a humbling experience. They would be literally humbling themselves because of what the Word of God says. So, a lot of people don't do that. But that's what we do need to do. Just just lay aside all of our old teaching religious traditions and look at it plainly the way it teaches it. First of all, it says that Adam, when God created him, God gave him power, dominion, and authority over this earth. He was the under-ruler of God in this world. In other words, he was the God of this world. Little G-O-D, not big G. He was the little G-O-D God of this world. Now what that meant is, whatever Adam wanted to come to pass, he could speak it and it'd come to pass. He had power and authority. He was so, you know, so much in rule and so much in dominion, so much in authority, he didn't even consider his physical body or his physical body's needs. He didn't bother even getting dressed. I mean, you know, there wasn't a thorn on the earth that would have dared scratch him. There wasn't a piece of poison ivy that could have got him. Poison ivy, I mean, I believe, sincerely, I believe it didn't exist. I believe he could have just, you know, walked all the way through there, not a stitch of clothes on, and nothing, no mosquito bites. Why wouldn't that be something? You know, run around naked all the time. No mosquitoes, no poison ivy, you know. Nobody with a camera going, whoa, look at that, you know. Why? Because sin had not yet entered. They weren't conscious of that. They, they had no idea. They, he was ruling and reigning. And he just got up and went about his business as king, ruler. And he, I mean, you know, I mean, obviously some guy that's going to walk around in the garden talking with God on a one-to-one basis says they fellowshiped. Fellowship. What does that mean? That means you get together on a one-to-one basis and just fellowship. You talk and you exchange ideas and things like that. Oh, I, I, I've never heard anything like that. No. A lot of folks hadn't read the Word of God either. <laughs> but it's all in there. Need to read it sometime. What's it talking about? Adam was created as God's under-ruler in the earth. 
making him the God of this world. Then Satan came in, deceived his wife, with Adam standing there the whole time. The Word of God says in the New Testament, over in Timothy, it says that Adam was not deceived. If he was not deceived, it means his eyes were wide open. It means he saw exactly what was going on and he consented to it. That's the reason he committed high treason. Not because Satan confused him or deceived him or anything like that. He saw what was going on. And he was listening to what Satan was saying. And he said, yeah, you know, I think I might just try that. That is the sin that's been passed down on man. Notice it doesn't say the sin of Eve, you know, is the problem. It says the sin of Adam is the problem. It says that Eve was deceived. A lot of people ask me, they said, Brother Bill, uh, do you believe that if Adam had not allowed that to transpire, that, that God would have forgiven Eve? Yeah, praise God. I believe that he'd have forgiven her and everything would have been just like it was and they'd have kicked Satan off this planet and, you know, not had any more problems with him. And Adam, you, you could go talk to him today, somewhat five, 6,000 years later, he'd still be around, still have the same physical body, wouldn't have aged a lick, would have no sickness and disease, wouldn't have a gray hair in his head. He'd just be, you know, come up, well, hey, Adam, how you doing, you know? I mean, he'd still be here, physically, here. But that's not the way it happened. And a lot of folks would say, what about this, what about that? Well, you know, forget all that. That's not the way it happened. Let's find out where we are at. Okay, Adam did a fall. He did commit high treason. When he committed high treason, in effect, he bowed his knee to Satan. Satan then became the God of this world with Adam's authority, not through his own authority. See, Satan has painted a big picture for us that he's so powerful and so all-knowing. And, and, oh, you know, just the slightest slip and he'll bop you over the head with a sledgehammer. I mean, he's just so strong and so powerful. A lot of Christians going around that won't say certain things because they're afraid Satan will hear it and use it to, to, you know, I mean, a lot of folks go around saying, you know, I don't want to make Satan mad at me. I mean, i got enough trouble as it is. Well, we shouldn't be concerned about something like that. We have authority over him. We're the ones that if we resist him after submitting ourselves to God, he'll flee from us. See, he has to flee from us. It didn't say he'd flee from the Word or flee from God. I mean, he'll do all that. But it says he'll flee from us. See, we need to get an image of ourselves the way the Word of God pictures us. But let's let's go back to what we're talking about. Here's Adam. He's fallen. He's, you know, he he's committed high treason. Now... Let's go on to that next misconception. And that is that God was so mad at him for doing it that he put sickness and disease on. No, that's not the way it is at all. When Satan became the God of this world, he brought with him sin, sickness, disease, corruption, death. He brought with him all of that. And when he reigned, then that came along with his kingdom. For instance, right now we're very aware because of all the news and so forth of politics, the Carter administration's going out and the Reagan administration's coming in. And there's a whole lot of people that's sitting on the edge of their seat going, well, I wonder what Reagan's going to do. I wonder how it's going to change the politics and the economics of this nation. I wonder if he really will be able to deliver on that promise of a tax cut. I want, You know, I mean, people are expectant because they don't know what's going to change as the new administration comes in. Now, I'm not likening Reagan to Satan. 
<laughs> Don't get that idea. I didn't say that. I said that when Adam's administration was over with, a new one came in and the whole thing got fouled up. Praise God. We're going to intercede for the president and we're going to have the greatest four years you've ever seen. Isn't that right, Brother Andy? That's right. <laughs> Praise God. Anyway, <laughs> I'll tell you, this is fun. Okay, <laughs> the thing is, Satan's administration was over with. I mean, Adam's administration was over with. Satan comes in, and with him brings sickness, disease, sin, corruption. The whole law of sin and death is instituted. When that happens, God comes to Adam and says, Adam, you know, this is the attitude he came to him with. Adam, you missed it, but i got to tell you what's going to happen. You're, 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 the ground's not going to bear like it used to. You're going to have to sweat. And, and, and sickness and disease, I mean, you know, the curse of the law, that's coming. See, he's not telling him, you dummy, I'm going to slap this on you. He's saying, this is all coming. This is all coming because of what you did. i got to tell you this. I'm warning you, this is coming. But down the line, he came up with a covenant through Abraham and through the law. He instituted something that if you'd fulfill this, you could live outside of that curse. You could live outside of the administration of the law of sin and death and live within the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Now, when Jesus performed the completed work that He did, that old covenant law was done away with because it was the former covenant. It was not a perfect covenant. No one could fulfill it except Jesus. And after it was done away with, the new covenant brought in the law of life the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, now we can live in that. And what does the Word of God say about Christians? We are not of this world. Satan is the God of this world. We're not of this world. Satan's not our God. Therefore, the things he administers like sin and sickness and disease and corruption and death aren't ours. Jesus bore our sicknesses and our infirmities, it says in Matthew 8.17. If He bore them, we don't have to bear them. He bore our sin on Himself. He became sin for us. We don't have to pay the penalty for sin because He did already. Now, many Christians are going around teaching that we're going to have to pay in one way or another for sins we've committed. And really what it amounts to, there's a lot of denominations and churches and so forth that are trying to get us back under the law. you got to do this and that and the other. Otherwise, if you walk out in the street and get hit by a truck, you're going to hell. doesn't matter that you accept Jesus Christ as Lord, you know. Basically, that's what they're saying. And that's not right. That debt's been paid for. Now, how does this all work? Now we can read Romans 5. Beginning in verse 12. Wherefore... As by one man sin entered into the world. Now we're going to take it slow, and I'm not going to get through with this this morning. We're going to have to take this up again tonight, but it'll develop, so hang around. <laughs> okay. Wherefore, as by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world. Before Adam committed high treason, sin did not exist in the world. Through what he did, sin entered into the world. Okay. And by, excuse me, and death by sin. Alright? Death didn't exist in the world. 
There was no death here before Adam committed high treason. But when he sinned, death entered into the world. Before he did it, death did not exist here. See, I want you to, I want you to start seeing this. Really start meditating on this. You're going to have to make a quality decision to receive some of these things because they're completely cross-grained with anything you've probably ever heard before. So keep, keep going in. Let it dig around in you. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Before the law came, death reigned. God had no means by which to protect anyone. Nobody could live under the protective umbrella that God wanted to set up. Death reigned. I mean, there was no hope. Can you imagine that? It's hard for us to imagine. We've been trained up. We, we, we've come up since we were children in the knowledge that we can receive this, this life and this forgiveness through Jesus Christ. It's, it's completely foreign to our thinking to imagine a position where we'd be that there was no hope, no help, and death was reigning. I mean, death. No life. No chance. No hope. It's no wonder that sin abounded like it did. It's no wonder that at one point God said that He repented of the whole thing. That He wanted to destroy the whole thing. It said that it got to the point that every thought, man's every thought was evil continually. There was no good thought. There was no good intent. There was only evil continually. Why? Because death reigned. And how did death enter? Through sin. The law of sin and death. All right. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Of course, with Moses came the law. Even over them that had not... Now, catch this. You hadn't read this before. You probably read over it, but you hadn't read it. Even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. What in the world is that talking about? In other words, this death and reign of sin passed on to them who had not even committed high treason against God like Adam did. That's what it's saying. In other words, even the people who didn't turn away from God altogether, there were people, I believe this, people who were seeking after God before Moses gave the law, but death was reigning. God had no means by which to get involved with them, and they were in vain trying to find God. They hadn't committed the similitude of Adam's sin. They hadn't done what Adam did. But they still... Okay, let's let me read it again. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Even Death even reigned over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. Okay. Who is the figure of him that was to come? But not as of the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more, much more. Now consider the effect of what Adam's transgression and Satan's rule on the earth was. Death reigned. Now in those two words, you've summed up the whole thing. Death reigned. 
Everybody was, their thoughts were evil continually. Their intent was evil continually. They were dying. There was no hope. There was no help. The whole world, it was almost as if the the entire globe were covered with just a shroud of death and evil and sin. As far-reaching as that was, much more. See, you need to realize that what's going to happen that we're going to see here is much more effective and powerful than the law of sin and death ever was. Because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus is far above anything the law of sin and death could do. Brother Copeland teaches it this way. He talks about light and darkness. And he talks about the fact that you can have a gigantic auditorium, a gigantic coliseum area, completely, I mean, not a a shred of light in it, totally dark. Dark that looks so thick, looks like, you know, you could just cut it with a knife. You can't see your hand in front of your face. It's so dark. And then somebody way over yonder strikes one little match all the way across that big building. But all of that dark in that building can't dispel that one tiny little light. Little tiny light. And as long as that light's burning... It's dispelling that darkness. No matter where you are, even if you're a half a mile away in the dark, you can see that light down there, that little speck of light. Light is more powerful than darkness. Even the smallest light will dispel darkness. Even a smidgen of the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus could dispel the law of sin and death. And the thing is, it's much more powerful than that. All right, let's keep reading. Let's back up just a little bit. Verse 15. And not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, the offense of Adam, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. Now, Jesus is called the second Adam. And... Really, there's a a similarity. Adam was created the first man in the earth, the first living man. Jesus was created the firstborn of many brethren. He was the firstborn, reborn man in the Spirit. He was the firstborn again man from death unto life. Adam was born from life unto death. Can you see the similarity there? Jesus was the second Adam, and the Word of God calls him that. Verse 17, For if by one man's offense, being Adam, death reigned by that one man, much more, notice how many times he says, much more, they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign... See, death reigned before, right? Who's reigning now? Now watch this, because if you see it, you'll shout. (laughs) Let's back up again. For if by one man's offense, death reigned by one. What's reigning now? Death. Now, much more they, who's they? Us that receive it. They which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life, not after we die, in life by one Jesus Christ. We're reigning now. 
As Christians, we're reigning. Death's no longer reigning. We are. Well, why are people dying in this world? Why is it that little children are dying? Because we are not doing our job. I'm convinced of that more and more. Christians don't realize the rule and and right and power that they have through Jesus Christ. If we just stomp our foot and say, no, you're not going to kill that child. I'm going to intercede and I'm going to pray for that child. I'm going to break the power of Satan over that child. Satan, you leave him alone in the name of Jesus. I'm reigning over death. He wouldn't die. The problem is we haven't been taking our rights and privileges. We need to start doing it. I tell you what, some of us are. Some of us are starting to do that. And there's changes going on. There are changes. I tell you what, this was a a year, maybe two years ago. We had a Bible study over in Denton. And we got a hold of 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 through 4. And we saw that we needed every time we got together to first of all pray for those that are in authority. And we began to do that. I mean, we just did it. We got in the habit of doing it. And from that very hour, the news changed. I mean, there was a difference. We could tell one little old group in Denton, maybe a dozen people get together and intercede for the government and things begin to change. Now, see, that was, maybe it was longer, four or five years ago, maybe. I, I, I didn't realize that long ago. Boy, I tell you, time's flying. But anyway, it's been long enough ago that because of some of the things we were praying, all of a sudden politicians started getting up and publicly stating, I am a born again child of God. And instead of getting stoned, everybody went, that's who we want. Now that's a difference. That's a difference from somebody that's afraid to say they're a Christian for fear they'll lose an election. Man, it didn't happen this year, did it? Praise God. All the Christians stood up and said, we want a voice. And all the news media went, oh my God. (laughs) What are we going to do with a bunch of fanatics? Now, I don't totally agree with all the things that some people are saying, but that doesn't matter. Christians are standing up. Christians are beginning to intercede, and things are changing. Now, I begin to notice it from the very hour we begin to pray for the government. But the thing is, that little old group in Denton is not the only one that started doing it. Bunches of folks all across the nation started doing it. That's cause, excuse me, causing the change. The intercession, the power of the prayer of intercession is causing the change. Okay, verse 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift, praise God, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Now I'm going to blow some religious boats out of the water right here. Notice what this says. I'm going to read it again. I want you to really listen. Brother Copeland talks about getting your catchers out. Just listen here. Therefore, as by the offense of one, Adam, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Because of what Adam did, judgment came upon all men. Death reigned. Even so, by the righteousness of one, Jesus Christ, the free gift of righteousness came upon all men unto justification of life. The gift came to all men. Brother Bill, I thought the gift was just for Christians. No, the gift came to all men. 
if you're a man, if you're a human being on this planet, that gift's unto you. The gift's been given. A lot of people say, you know, I got saved last week. No, you didn't. You got saved nearly 2,000 years ago on the cross. You received the gift that was available last week. See, our terminology's gotten us confused. We get some kind of idea that God, you know, it's like, it's almost like God crucified Jesus 30,000 million times or however many Christians there are. It's like He did it, you know, every time somebody got saved, Jesus was crucified again. That's not the way it worked. Now, it's equivalent to that. The one time that Jesus did it was for all. The one time that He paid the price was for everybody. Now, if we'll receive the gift that is unto all men... We are made the righteousness of God in Him, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. See, we need to start, we need to start to begin to see some of the intricacies of this. We've gotten a broad overview, but we need to really get down and study this out, which is what we're doing here. Verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made Righteous. Many shall be made righteous. A lot of people say, you're always talking about being made the righteousness of God. That's one isolated instance in Scripture. No, it's not. A lot of people say, well, you know, you're always quoting 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Put your marker there and let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and read it. You'd be amazed at how much flack people like Brother Copeland are getting because they're teaching that we've been made the righteousness of God. And the reason is, Christians seem to enjoy somehow, you know, it's almost like a a masochistic kind of thing. They enjoy being sinners. I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. And we're just making it through the heat and the cold until one day we'll see the Lord. You know, they seem to like that. Wallowing around in all that. Instead of standing up and saying, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I've been made that. I'm reigning in this life. And everybody goes, whoa, he's a fanatic. He's one of them guys. Yeah, I'm one of them guys. Praise God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Now, that's true because it's the Word of God. It's not true because I look like a new creature or because I act like a new creature. I am a new creature because I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord. I'm in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, sharing the fact of that reconciliation with the world. To wit, or to know, or to understand, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself. The world, everybody, all men in the world are reconciled to God through Christ if they'll receive Jesus, which is the way the reconciliation came. Now, what is so heartbreaking sometimes is to watch somebody that is not born again and realizing that they are reconciled to God, that the gift is there a breath away, that close. The difference between them going to hell our being with the Lord forever is one breath away. It's not a gigantic, you know, 
miles and millions and miles and miles away. It's not, you know, it's not like God's way off up yonder and He's down here in the, in the dirt and somehow, you know, He's gonna get through and get born again. No, it's not like that at all. The gift's there. The gift's right here. The reconciliation's available. All we need to do is say, Jesus Christ is my Lord. I believe God raised Him from the dead. Immediately, we're made a new creature. It's that close. And that's what can be so frustrating. If you've ever tried to witness that to somebody and tell them about the Lord, and they're standing there, and you can see it on their face. Their minds are blinded. They can't understand what you're saying. You have to rely on the the power of the Spirit of God to get it across to them. And then when they do see it, you can see it across their face. It's It's like something's moved out of the way. It's like the light starts coming out, and they start going, yeah. You know, and they start to see it. And then they receive the Lord, and you can see them. They're new creatures in Christ Jesus. They're not the same as they were. They don't think like they were anymore. Things have changed. Suddenly, they can see and understand the Word of God. People that, that, you know, there's a whole lot of sinners that are real dedicated to reading the Bible. And man, you know, they might as well be reading it backwards. <laughs> they don't understand the lick of it. They look at it, and they flip the page, and, oh, wow, this is heavy stuff, you know. No, God's Word's meant to be understood. A lot of Christians go around saying, oh, we're not supposed to understand the Bible. Well, then why did God give it to us? Why did He give it to us if He didn't want us to understand? Did He want to taunt us with it? Look at you, you dummy. You can't understand it, can you? Boy, I'm smart. I can understand it. See? God's not that kind of God. He gave it to us so we could understand how He works. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts, and you'll never understand it, you dummy. That's not what he said. He said, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, and I'm sending my word down to the earth, and it shall not return unto me void. In other words, you can take my thoughts in here and begin to meditate on them and understand the way I think. You can begin to understand how God thinks. How could I ever do that? Because we've received the mind of Christ. Praise God. See, we need to start beginning to see through some of these things. Let's keep reading there in 2 Corinthians 5. Verse 19, to wit or to know that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead. Be ye reconciled to God. For he, God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin. Jesus never sinned. He knew no sin. He was sinless. But God made Him, supernaturally made Jesus sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Not because I've committed any acts of righteousness. I haven't. I can't think of a one. I've committed an act of righteousness. There's no way. If it were left up to my righteousness in and of myself, outside of God, my righteousness is, as the Word of God says, as filthy rags to God. I could do my absolute best to be righteous, and it'd still be as filthy rags to God. But see, I'm not standing in my righteousness. I'm not standing in my right standing, praise God. (laughs) I'm standing in Jesus' righteousness. I've been made the righteousness of God in Him. See, that's the difference. A lot of people think, oh, you, you word of faith people, you just boasting. You're just saying, I'm righteous, I'm righteous. No, that's not the attitude we're doing it with. We're saying, hey, yeah, I'm the righteousness of God in Him. Not because of me. But in Him. 
See, get rid of this old false humility stuff. This old stuff that says, you know, well, I, I, I just, I don't know. I wouldn't want to say that I'm righteous. Go ahead and say it. I'm righteous. Whew, feels good when you do that. Praise God. Let's go back to Romans chapter 5 once again. Verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Praise God. Verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Do you see that? Look at it again. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. I thought, God, you made a mistake here. <laughs> Your pen must have slipped or something. I thought, wait a minute. God, you mean you put the law of Moses in the earth so that sin would abound? That doesn't make any sense. I thought the law was supposed to, I mean... What what are you doing here? Well, earlier in this chapter, we went over it pretty quickly, but earlier in this chapter, in verse 13, it says, For until the law, sin was in the world. Now, it was there. But sin is not imputed where there is no law. The sin was in the world, but since the law wasn't there, it wasn't imputed. Now, what did God do? He gave the law so that sin would abound and be imputed. I don't know, Brother Bill. I, I, I just don't... I, I don't know what you... Well, now, I'm not teaching it, folks. The Word of God is. I'm just reading it. You know, when I read it... Uh, you know, when I began to study this and I read this, I thought, wait a minute. <laughs> well, I'm not seeing something. I Wait a minute, you know. I thought maybe if I read it all in context, and the more I read it in context, the more it made sense. But still, that's what it said, you know. God put the law in the earth so that sin would abound. Now let's keep reading. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Now we've heard that. Where sin doth abound, grace doth much more abound. And the way we've read that, see, we've taken it out of context again, and the way we've read that is, yeah, you know, Satan and his crowd doing their thing, there's a lot of sinning going on, a lot of, you know, pornography and a lot of adultery and a lot of, you know, corruption, all that's going on. But, you know, where sin's abounding, grace doth much more abound. And we've looked at grace as being some kind of spiritual salve. You know, you sort of rub that on the situation, makes it feel a little better, loosens up the, you know, the joints a little bit, and that feels a little better. You know, this sin's really hurting, but that, that grace did, did a pretty good job there until tomorrow, you know. No, grace does much more abound. In the same way that death was reigning, and life and righteousness is much more reigning, in the same way, sin is in the earth, yeah. Back then, death and sin were reigning. But where there was sin, grace did much more abound. The law pointed that out. The law brought it to a head. The law showed it for what it was, sin. See, there was nothing else in the world but sin. I mean, if you were, if you were some dude back there in Noah's day, when there was no law, and you were going around shooting and killing and murdering and raping and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Why, that was the status quo, you know. Nobody had ever said, that's wrong. Nobody had ever said, God doesn't want you to... The Ten Commandments. There was no Ten Commandments. There was no law of God. There was nothing. And man, it take I mean, you know, it takes some argument to convince somebody that what you were doing really had any effect on anything. 
But there needed to be a law to point out what was going on. And yes, sin abounded, but grace did much more abound. Alright, keep going here. See, the reason we don't understand some of these things is because we can't pull ourselves out of what we already know and put ourselves back in an age when there was no light, no hope, no revelation knowledge, and death and sin reigned. If we could do that, we'd understand it easily. And if you'd stop and meditate on that a little bit, you'll see it so. Verse 21, That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, you know, let's, let's meditate. Let's take that slow. That as death ha- as sin hath reigned unto death, as sin was reigning, causing death to enter, even so might grace reign through righteousness, which is what we've been made, unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Okay, now, see, in other words, this chapter 6 is not a different thought. It's not a different idea. We just go right on down into it. What shall we say then? Now that we've seen all this background, now that we've got all this information, what are we going to say about it? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? You know, I mean, that's just what it begins to sound like. The more we sin, the more grace will abound. The more grace we've got, my praise God, the better off we are. See? A lot of people are saying, you've heard Brother Copeland say this, a lot of people say, that he's heard a lot of people say that he's given them a license to sin. And you've heard him say that as well as I have. And a lot of people are saying that of a lot of us that are teaching these things. They're saying that we're saying that you ought to go ahead and sin, don't worry about it, don't, you know, just sin. Ask forgiveness sometimes now. But just go on and sin, and, and, and everything be all right. Because after all, where sin doth abound, grace doth much more abound after all. But see, that's not what Paul was saying here. He knew they'd start to get this idea if he left it there. And he said, what shall we say then, folks? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. No. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Once you have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord, you are dead to sin. Sin no longer reigns over you. You're dead to it. Now, once you're out of that muck, why would you ever want to go back into it? So if people are not looking for a way to sin, they're looking for a way rather, I'm talking about Christians now, they're looking for a way rather to please God. Now, let's let's read this. Keep going in this. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? Now you see, this is where a lot of Christians start talking about dying to self, dying to self, dying to self. You don't want to die to self. The Word of God does not say die to self. Why? Because yourself is your spirit man. The real you is a spirit. The real you is a spirit that is dwelling in this body. This body is just your earth suit. We've talked about that before. Like Brother Cap says, this is your earth suit. Just like an astronaut has to have a space suit to survive in space, we have to have an earth suit to survive here in this physical realm. We're actually spirit beings. We are a spirit, we have a mind, we live in a body. Dying to self would mean we're trying to kill our spirit. 
The real us is a spirit, not a body. What we're trying, what we need to be dying to is the sins of the flesh. Now the Word of God does have somewhat to say about that. But not dying to self. See, we've confused it. We've gotten it turned around. And a lot of folks would say, well, Brother Bill, that's just semantics. That's just terminology. Yeah, but the difference of words makes all the difference in the world. And you can read Mark 11, 22, 23, and 24 and find that out. Words. Words are important. The way we use words are important. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? Therefore, we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, what raised Him? The glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Why? Because we are new creatures in Christ Jesus. The old has passed away. The old man has died. We are new creatures in Christ Jesus. We should walk in that newness of life. Notice, just sort of make a decision to notice how many times life is mentioned and how many times death is mentioned. And look, now you see, if, if you'll do this right here at this point, you'll start, you'll begin to see some of the revelation knowledge God's got for us here in, in what we're reading. And that is, notice that whenever he talks about death, he's applying it to the body and the old way that it was. And whenever he talks about life, he's applying it to the spirit and to the new creature we are in Christ Jesus. Begin associating those two things and start noticing that. That will really help you. Verse 5, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Yeah, we died with him, but we're also raised up with him. Don't stop short. Those people that I was talking about teaching on death a while back when we first got started, they go, yes, we've died with Christ. We've died with Christ. We're dying daily. No, we're not. Is Jesus dying daily? Is he up in heaven dying daily? No, of course not. He's been raised from the dead. Death can't touch him. Death, where's your sting? I'm raised up from you. See, that's where He is. We did die with Him. Now we've been resurrected uh, like Him, with Him, unto life. Alright. Knowing this, that our old man, who? Our old man. Is it our man that we're living in right now? Is it a Christian that's dying daily? No, it's the old man that is crucified with Him. Verse 6, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Praise God. Can you begin to see where we've been misled in this? All we're doing is reading the Bible. You know, just reading it out of black and white. And yet people have taken it and confused it like that. It's amazing to me. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. See, we've forgotten the last part. We're dead with Christ. Oh, glory to God. We also believe we're living with Him. Praise God. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Praise God. I don't know, it's just turned me on. <laughs> Death hath no more dominion over Him. 
Praise God. Death reigned before all this happened, but now death has no dominion over him. He's reigning above it. He dies no more. Verse 10, For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise. Notice that word. Underline it twice. <laughs> Likewise. In the same way. Just like Jesus. Likewise, reckon ye. What's the word reckon mean? It's a word that means think of and understand. Likewise, think and understand yourselves also to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Man, I tell you what, we're nailing the nails in the coffin on this death teaching stuff, aren't we? No, we were dead, yes. We died unto that sin, yes. Likewise, in similar manner as Jesus died, yeah. But now, likewise and in similar manner, as Jesus is raised from the dead and living unto God, so are we. Praise God. Verse 12. Well, let's back up to verse 11. I want to read that again. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin. Let. Who's going to let it happen if it does? Us. You, let not sin, therefore, reign in your, what? Mortal body. Not in your spirit. Death can't reign in your spirit. Your spirit's been made alive to God. Where can death reign? In your body. What is the manifestation of death in your body? Sickness and disease. Amen? Can you begin to see it? How are we going to keep this from happening if we don't let it happen? How are we going to not let it happen if we don't give place to Satan? Why? Because he's the author of the death and the sin to start with. He's the one that brought him in to start with. If we don't give him place, if we don't let this corruption come in our mortal bodies, we won't be sick. Whew, boy, praise God. Amen. I won't keep reading. <laughs> let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye. Who's going to do it? You, yield ye your members. What is your members? Your body. This is a member of my body, this arm, this hand. That's a member of my body. If I don't yield that hand and that arm to sin, it won't commit any. It's me making the decision as to whether it's going to do it. Don't yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves to God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Man, get an image of that. Get an image of yourself as alive to God, as the righteousness of God. And these members of your body, these hands and arms and legs, every part of your body is an instrument unto righteousness. Why do you think it is that God wants us to lay our hands on the sick? Because they're instruments of righteousness and that right standing will flow through our instrument, our arm, hand, into them and is the life, the zoe force and life of God, the grace of God, power and anointing of God flows into them through the touch of our hand. It will force that corruption and that manifestation of death out of them and they'll be healed. See, we're talking about the mechanics of how this works. We're getting down to the basis of how it works. 
We've been told, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. But we've never thought it through of how it works. The reason it works is because the life of God's in us. Our members are instruments of righteousness. When we touch it, something happens. It flows into that person. Praise God. Verse 13, <laughs> Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Verse 14, For sin shall not have dominion over you. Glory to God. For ye are not under the law, but under grace. Praise God. What then? See, he's going to ask a question now. He's getting everybody's attention. Ears are open here. What then? Shall we sin? Because we're not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. See, he's still stressing, don't get the idea that I'm trying to give you license to sin now. Don't just think I'm going to say, you know, go ahead and sin. That's not what he's saying. God forbid that. He's trying to form in you a picture of your righteousness. A picture of that you've been made alive in Christ Jesus. For too long we've had a, a sin and death consciousness. You get around Christians, all they want to talk about is how they're dying and how they're old sinners. See, that's the kind of consciousness, that's the kind of thinking and attitude and image they've had of themselves. See, what God's trying to do through these scriptures we're reading here today, He's trying to develop in us an image of us as the righteousness of God in Him, an image of even our members, even our, our members as instruments, our arms and hands as instruments of God through which we can lay hands on the sick of the world and they'll recover through us, an image of our authority, an image of us reigning in life. All right. Know ye, let's see, verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants are ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. We can make a choice. I'm convinced of this as born-again Christians. We can make a choice, notice, not being deceived into it, but a choice. We can make a choice to obey sin and through that have death be manifested. What is a manifestation of death? Corruption, sickness, all these things, weakness. All those things are manifestations of death. We can, by choice, serve sin yield ourselves to that, and those manifestations will come to pass. But we can, by choice, serve God and the righteousness that we've been made, and the results of that will take place. Praise God. Verse 17, But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart the spirit of man. You have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. The word doctrine means teaching. That's not some doctrine, religious kind of word. It means teaching is all. You have obeyed from your spirit the form of teaching which was delivered unto you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Praise God. That's where we are. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. What does he mean there? I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. I'm explaining this to you in such a detailed way because of the infirmity of your flesh. Your flesh is getting in the way, and that's the reason you don't understand some of these spiritual truths. Your flesh is rearing its ugly head and saying, No, you're not. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. And Satan's chiming in there going, Yes, you are. That's right. You are. 
And because of that infirmity of your flesh, you don't understand some of these spiritual truths. So he's speaking after the manner of men. He's just sort of putting it plain for you so you can understand it. For as you have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, sin after sin, you know, just keep doing it and being in iniquity and again and again and again, even so, now yield your members, servants to righteousness unto holiness. Praise God. For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. See, it works both ways. That's the thing we got to understand. When we were the servants of sin, before we became born again, we were free from righteousness. I mean, there wasn't a spot on us. We didn't have any. We were free from it. Now, the opposite's true, too. Now that we've been made the righteousness of God, we're free from sin. See? There's an exchange that took place. There's a, there's a, a switching. It's like a, if you understand anything about electronics, it's like reversing polarity. You know, just... Over here, you know, you're reversed. You're, it's, things are different now. Verse 21. What fruit had ye in those things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. That is, yielding yourself to sin. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Now we can read verse 23 and understand it. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, now we can understand the promise in that Scripture. Rather than using it as a ball bat to beat sinners over the head with. Now it's a promise to us that are born again. Yeah, the wages of sin is death. But praise God, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. See, we need to begin to realize now I'm gonna, I'm gonna skip just a little bit into what I'm gonna talk about next time because I want you to see something. Praise God. In Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse, oh, let's see, verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. See, we've already been, we've been seeing the fact that God's justified us to Him by what Jesus did for us. We've been made the righteousness of God. We're no longer ser serving sin, but we should be serving God through that righteousness. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is He that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Shall any of those things ever separate us from the love of Christ? As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are, we, we, we as Christians, we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Praise God. Why? Because the righteousness of God's in us. I don't care who's accusing you. I don't care who's persecuting you. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. I don't care what they're saying about you. I don't care the peril, the tribulation. It doesn't matter. Whatever it is, nothing will separate you from the love of Christ. And it says that in all these things, all of these things, in tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, being killed all the day long, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him 
Him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise God. Amen. Nothing can separate us from His love. It's that love is the reason Jesus came in the first place. For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish, but have zoe, everlasting life. We should have it now. And because we have it now, and because of the love of Christ that's in us, none of these things can conquer us. We're more than conquerors over all of them. Praise God. Father, we thank You for this today. We thank You for Your Word. Oh, Lord, it means so much to know who we are in Christ Jesus. It means so much to know what You've intended for us. That You haven't intended us to be sick and beggarly and poor, weak, people conquering us at every turn. That's not what You meant for us. You meant for us to rule and reign as kings in this earth, kings and priests unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We thank You, Lord, that we're more than conquerors in all these things. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Just everybody's everybody's head bowed and eye closed here for a second. Hallelujah. Thank You, Father. Is there anyone here today, I don't know everyone personally here, is there anyone here today that has not received Jesus Christ as their Lord? You've heard all this and you thought, man, praise God, I'd love to get in on this. Is there anyone here that would raise their hand and say, I would like to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior according to the Word of God? If so, just raise your hand. Praise God. Anyone at all? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Well, praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Let's just praise the Lord here a while. Thank you, Father. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise you, Lord Jesus. My children, this is what I've been trying to get you to see. Through all the teaching that you've heard, not only here today, but also in the recent past as I've proclaimed these things unto you, I'm trying to get you to see that you've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm trying to get you to see that more than anything. Because if you'll get an image of yourself the way you are in me, then you'll begin to realize the right and privilege and authority that I've given you in this earth. And we, together, as partners together, can begin to make the difference in this earth. You'll see a great move of my power and my spirit. You'll see many signs and wonders, yes, but only because you are the righteousness of God in me. Only because of the place I put you in. Only because you're operating in my love. Only because faith works by that love. Oh, I I long, I desire, I want to do many things among you. Oh, if you only knew the things that I desired to do among you. But so many times, so many times, you've cut it short. You've cut it short by the words of your own mouth. As you said, oh, not me. I'm not worthy enough. I'm not righteous enough. 
I'm not holy enough. I don't know enough. And all the time I've told you, you have been made. You have been made. You have been made. You don't have to do anything. I've done it all. That's the glorious thing about my gospel. I've done it all. All you need to do is yield yourselves. When my word says yield yourself, that's not effort. That's not anything that you need to, to, to work up. All you need to do is yield yourself. Make yourself available to the power and flowing of my spirit. And as you do that, I'll be there and I'll turn up the power within you. And yes, you'll see the mighty miracles and wonders that you've longed to see because I want to perform them in your midst. Oh, I want to do a short work. The time is indeed short. And I need to turn up that power within you. So begin to yield yourselves unto the righteousness that you've been made. And you'll see the difference in this church and in your lives. And as you go out in my name, praise God. I trust that you receive from the ministry of the Word of God today. If you'd like to contact me, you may write me at Dr. Bill Bailey, Word of Faith Ministries, P.O. Box 5213-5213, High Point, North Carolina, 27262. Or you may email me at this address, Dr. Bill, D-R-B-I-L-L, at W-O-F-M dot O-R-G If God speaks to your heart about supporting our ministry financially or you would like to receive more teaching messages from the Word of God check out our website at www.wofm dot O-R-G I believe and agree with you for the full 100-fold return on your giving I also believe and know that God is richly blessing you and your family every day in every way. Praise God, you are blessed and highly favored.